Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome to the show tonight. Thank you so much for joining us here. This is Road to Recovery. I'm your host, Yona Bud. We're joined in the studio with Corey and Sophia, and they're going to uh, take your calls and help keep things under control. It's going to be a difficult show, so I'm just telling you straight up um, some difficult things to talk about. We're really talking about a broken system. So we're going to be looking at some situations in hospitals and treatment centers and such where people have passed away. Uh, We're going to be looking at some situations where uh, the system, the the, system, Community service system, social service system, uh, let some people down, ended up with a, with a daughter and, uh, who, uh, they believe was killed by their father. We'll get to that story. That's our second segment. And, uh, want to give you a chance to call us here tonight. First, the open segment for this, for the first section is, or first segment, excuse me, is, um, can you trust, you know, who can you trust? When you're paying big bucks, there's no guarantee of quality of care, right? You think the social services system is broken? We want to hear from you. 416-870-6400 by phone, 888. 888- Two two five talk if you're uh, calling long distance and here's a, something that we just put in place tonight so we're going to do it together for the first time you can text me at 647-488-0086 and this is how this works it comes to a device that only i control once i've uh, seen the messages and read the messages they delete unless you tell me otherwise and to keep them and get back to you so please you can call me directly or text me directly 647-488-0086 by text 416-870-6400. Do you think there's a broken system out there? And if so, like, uh, what are your plans to, uh, to to get around it if, God forbid, you're in that situation? Well, there's a place in L.A. Um, it's called the Red Door, and it's a favored recovery center run by a husband and a wife who've had previous facilities, and they've been involved in scandals off and on, and people have died in their care. Anyway, there's a film star who recently appeared in uh, many blockbuster franchises. He arrived there in the 2019 at this place called the Red Door. It's a high-end sober living treatment center. His hero, He had a heroin habit, and um, anyway, the, the proprietor at the place is a they refer to as a checkered figure. He's LA's recovery community. His name is Alex Shohet and was responsible for the actor's care. He sought to bring in the high profile client at some point as a financial partner. And let me tell you from somebody who runs treatment centers, you don't make your patients your partners. It just isn't the right thing to do. Anyway, they were going to try to buy Polly Shore's uh, nearby multi million dollar mansion um, right next to the comedy shop. Anyway, uh, Shah himself, he's a recovering addict. He operates under the philosophy that's, you know, he believes it's safer to keep addicts close. And uh, anyway, the star's addiction worsened in early 2020. He became the, Shahid became the, the client's uh, personal chaperone known in the treatment field as the sober companion. Include, include the responsibility for his personal finances. And in that capacity, Shahid fed substantial sums of money to the actor, the person he was actually taking care of. You don't do that when you're looking after a drug addict. You don't do that when you're looking after somebody who might not make very good choices with their money. Anyway, the experience of the star who left the family, the facility in March of 2020, um, after the onset of the, the pandemic, uh, mirrors the others who's sought treatment at this place. Uh, it's a go-to facility, by the way, for troubled, deep-pocketed members of Hollywood community, they say in this article, and their kids. Uh, so the Red Door publicizes itself as a holistic attachment-based, trauma-informed, individualized surface to help people with trauma, substance abuse, and mental health disorders. Uh, more than two dozen people have uh, issues at this facility, uh, including some that have uh, have passed away and died. Families are talking about um, 
uh, overdose issues and so on. Um, the, the, and some allegations that they, they, apparently the patients are too sick to ever aren't getting well and they've unnecessarily died as a result of their laxed, laxed care. Um, it goes on to talk about other claims that family members um, are putting forth. The couple themselves that run the place declined to interview for this uh, Hollywood paper um, interview. He says, uh, Alex Shahid said, I've been in the recovery industry for two th- since 2005, and my wife, Bernadine Fried, she's some kind of registered therapist who, by the way, lost her registration, has been working in the field since 88. We've seen too many deaths from addictions, uh, continues. Uh, they stand uh, with their fellow healthcare providers. Anyway, it's a bunch of crap. People are dying, getting high in their facility. You know, I've been running, uh, we've been running a treatment center in uh, here in, in, in Stouffville called the Farm in Stouffville. Uh, thank God we've been uh, running uh, almost seven years, and, and no one has uh, thankfully overdosed, had drugs in the facility, or anything like that. I mean, we keep pretty good tabs, like most of my colleagues, and certainly in Canada. Anyway, the couple recently uh, previously operated a place called uh, 180 Center. It's a collection of residential treatment centers. Police closed them after a couple of deaths. Uh, then they reopened again uh, with some uh, money that he uh, was able to get from another family. Um, he's uh, apparently this woman, Fried, who works uh, his partner, his wife. She uh, had a license, which was revoked by the California Board of Behavioral Sciences, um, she was placed on a four-year probation, yet continue to operate. Everybody continues to operate while people are dying, right? With the financial backing of a wealthy client, they opened another facility, uh, a Tudor-style home with, for their new business, Oscar-winning screenwriter Dustin Lance Black, uh, I guess gave them some money from the street behind a high hedgegrove, a hedge, hedgegrove, hedge and with a red front door, it featured a lush backyard and inviting pool, it goes on to say. People are dying in this facility. Okay, we got to be clear about that. People are dying in this facility. People are paying lots of money to go here, and what's happening is they're giving them drugs. They're giving them access to drugs. One person goes on to say that while in the care of uh, this fellow Shahed at his luxury facility, uh, he he specializes in what they call harm reduction, which means if people you know make a mistake, they still get to stay in the facility. How do you think about this? What do you think about this? Four one six eight seven zero. 6400 or text me 647-488-0086. It's completely anonymous, easy to do. I don't have to use your name, but I will talk about whatever it is you share with me. Uh, there's other families that go on to talk about issues with these people. Um, talk about having, here's a story that he was this one daughter, woman in her twenties, uh, daughter of a studio head who was in residence at the, at the place between 2019, 2020. And the sober companion, she says, uh, weren't there to keep you from doing drugs. They were there to keep you from dying. Her sober companion actually drove her to her dealer. She was doing Xanax, cocaine, and Oxy, and their thinking was, you're going to do it anyway. You're safer to do it with me. Well, that's not the kind of facility that I know of anywhere in this city, anywhere in Canada for that matter. Maybe an American thing, but it doesn't work. It's not the way to get people well. It's a way to get people's money and to keep them you know, locked up as long as possible needing your care. Anyway, 11 months at the Red Door, beginning the summer 2018. There's uh, been all kinds of issues with people uh, overdosing, people uh, dying, um, all kinds of issues around uh, crime uh, going on, uh, people being uh, having sexual relations against their will. Uh, 20-year-old uh, daughter of an East Coast uh, venture capitalist died on, the, on June 28, 2020, in the back of the house of Red Door, having fatally overdosed on a combination of cocaine, oxy, and Xanax. So you see that there's a combination of oxy, Xanax, and cocaine in pretty much every one of these patients. One wants to know where they're coming from. Do you think the system is broken? 
I think it's broken. When you pay this kind of money and you end up having to worry about your family member not coming home alive, I think that's a big deal. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk about a family, and I'd like to hear from you, right? So let us know. Uh, when we come back from break, we're going to talk to a, a, a mom and stepdad about the death of their four-year-old daughter, um, who they believe died at the hands of the ex-husband, uh, the, the soon-to-be estranged father of the child. So when we come back from break, we're going to, uh, we're going to listen to that. Uh, we're going to talk to these people and uh, listen to what they have to say. Very sad story. Uh, it's not that... Um, it's really not that uh, graphic. This particular one isn't that graphic, uh, but it's sad indeed. And um, we give uh, a lot of credit to the uh, to the guests that are going to show up here and uh, talk to us here just after break. So again, you can text me anytime six four seven four eight eight zero zero eight six, and uh, be glad to get back to you immediately. We can uh, read your text uh, when we come back from break, or phone four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. We'd like to hear from you. Yonabud six forty. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud only on 640 Toronto. So welcome back. Thank you for joining us today. We're talking about a broken system. This is Yona, your host on Road to Recovery here on 640 Toronto. Uh, thank you so much. Um, we have some guests that are going to join us here shortly, uh, but I, you might remember this story uh, back in February, mid-February or so of 2020. Uh, terrible story about a young girl. Um, her name is Kara. She uh, fell to her death along with her father, her, bio, her, her uh, biological father, fell to her death in a park in Rattlesnake Point uh, back in Milton in the wintertime. And, you know, parents were, uh, mom and uh, stepdad were all devastated around this, you know, terrible event. And anyway, here we are uh, a bunch of time later. Uh, and uh, in the news now, we're talking about uh, the family of this uh, four-year-old girl. And they're filing a $16 million lawsuit against the Conservation Authority or Halton Conservation uh, People and Jewish Family and Child Services, which is a social service that services uh, the Jewish community like uh, Children's Aid and some of those others. And, you know, they're talking about systemic mistakes here, things that were missed. And you've heard on other shows we've talked about uh, mistakes in uh, miscalculating young people who eventually take their own lives. And, you know, so many signals or we talk about kids that go in and shoot up other schools and stuff and, you know, kind of what led to that. And we could have caught it if we would have watched this and watched that. So that's what this show tonight, this little segment is about. Um, we're trying to figure out if we can pinpoint where the system gets broken and uh, and what you might be able to do to kind of uh, cover yourself to make sure you're paying attention if, unfortunately, you're in a situation where you have child services involved in your life. So my guest tonight is Dr. Jennifer Kagan. She is the mother of this uh, young lady who was the young girl who was deceased. And uh, Philip Fiatter, who is um, the stepfather, and uh, he's also a lawyer, family lawyer. Um, so thank you both for joining me. I know this is a, a difficult show to do, and hopefully we're going to turn some darkness into light by helping others. <clears throat> First question I have for either one of you, and please take uh, your turns if you want uh, answering, but um, do you think being a doctor, um, and, and that in fact, that was actually a question for Jennifer, do you think being a doctor and the fact that your husband's a lawyer that this was is has been detrimental or helpful in your fight because the average person, um, I don't know if they knew how to put something like this together. What do you think? I think, you know, that irrespective of who you are and what your background is, that, you know, people of all walks of life come into contact with these services and require these services. It's not something I had ever anticipated. I mean, I've been through 10 years of post-secondary education uh, plus, you know, and uh, both Philip and myself are educated, which, you know, I would think, you know, we have the ability to advocate and try to advocate for Kira. But these systems are needed by 
you know, by all sorts of individuals. And certainly, I don't think it was helpful uh, to any extent. You know, I was able to use my clinical training to recognize, you know, red flags and warning signs in my ex-husband, you know, brought that forward. I was, you know, begging and pleading with caseworkers that, uh, you know, this was a very dire situation and Kira was at risk. And I was not listened to. So I can only imagine how much worse uh, the situation yeah. is for, you know, for other people who may not have that education or who, um, you know, maybe may English is a second language or, you know, there are other barriers to, to justice that, you know, people face. And uh, that's, you know, a huge reason why I'm speaking out because, uh, you know, these systems are, are needed and are designed and, and are supposed to protect children. And, you know, the child welfare system, Jewish Family and Child Services, did not protect our daughter, Kira, and, uh, you know, we are suffering immensely as a result. So to answer your question, um, I don't think it was helpful. I don't think it was a hindrance. I just think that, um, you know, everybody in society uh, needs these these services and, uh, you know, there needs to be accountability such that this does not happen to another child. So, Philip, I have a question for you. Um, You know, you're a lawyer, you understand um, evidence and information. And again, I don't want you to provide any opinions on the case in hand because I know that's not appropriate. But just in general, was it your gut? Is it your gut that tells you or or has been telling you both, but you in particular? um, Is it your gut that's telling you that this wasn't really an accident and that you could, uh, I I guess both of you could kind of see this leading up to something ugly over a period of time? Or, I mean, is this... You're pretty confident that this wasn't an accident, I, I take it. No, we're, we're very confident. It, it's not an accident. It actually falls squarely within the domestic homicide timeline. Uh, in this particular circumstance, uh, Mr. Brown was displaying behavior consistent with someone who would harm or kill their own child. Um, and we were actually on the cusp of returning to court for a motion to suspend his access and so in the and face I, of and that, I, and, he, and he knew, and I guess he knew that, right? Much of, I'm sure that turned him over the edge too, right? Oh, he, he definitely knew that because we actually appeared in court and the judge actually said that the evidence against him was persuasive and compelling, but he decided to adjourn the motion to allow Jewish Family and Child Service to investigate and indicate to them that they can bring an urgent motion if they felt that Kira would be in danger, um, but Jewish Family and Child Services, of course, failed to act. Um, but in, in relation to the whole case, including all the findings that have be- previously been made against him, uh, it is, it is effect- effectively a certainty that it was a murder. Um, and it, it's, I mean, that's it. That was his last weekend with her. And following that, uh, we would have anticipated his access would have been suspended because Jewish Family and Child Services has effectively completed their investigation and they gave him unfortunately their notes confirming their concerns with him so so let me yeah. let, let me sh- let me ask uh, let me ask uh, dr kagan or if it's okay to call you jennifer please um, call me jennifer thank uh, you okay perfect call me yona um don't call me sir i hate that anyway <laughs> so in, in court filings it says i'm just reading from the from some of the documents the jfncs knew or ought to have known she was in need of protection uh based on events so uh, again you know f- just following up with what philip was saying um you knew as a mother i guess because i you know i, I at one point in my time i had to share custody with uh, one of my children and you know you kind of know when they've had a crummy time with their uh in this case his mom at the time but you know 
when they've had a crummy time at the weekend or the Wednesday night with somebody else. Um, so you must have had like gut feelings as a mother that that JFCS just wasn't. I mean, all the investigators and all the counselors that she was talking to and social workers and such, they just weren't getting it. Well, and the caseworker said to us on the Friday before Kira was killed that Mr. Brown was displaying behavior consistent with someone who would harm or kill their own child. So they knew as well, and they failed to act. But in terms of me, I mean, obviously, we go back to my history with Mr. Brown, my lived experience with him. And, you know, I knew he was a very dangerous individual. I was fearful for Kira's safety. Uh, you know, this this was an individual who, um, you know, did act to to harm Kira, you know, previously emotionally. And, you know, Kira was seeing a psychologist. She, too, had immense concerns um, that she brought forward as to Mr. Brown's behavior towards Kira. Uh, he was very emotionally abusive and uh, really sought to undermine her relationship with me over a longer term basis. His actions were not in her best interest, you know, taking her away from my care for you know, weeks at a time when she was a very small yeah. child. And we have to remember when I left Mr. Brown, Kira was nine months old. So, you know, right. he put forward a court application, you know, demanding a week about schedule. So th- this was something that I had, you know, concerned about Kira's safety that I brought forward uh, to, you know, to the child protection workers. And of course, things were escalating with Mr. Brown. And, um, you know, I expressed very strong concerns uh, and, you know, over her safety. So, the, the issue, though, is when you have a court order, um, you know, I, I followed the court order. So yep. the court order was that uh, Kira was to be in Mr. Brown's care um, that weekend. And when there's a court order, there's a court you order. Can't do, if, yeah, you, you can't, can't do anything can't, about it. Well, that's it. And okay. your, your hands are tied, right? So, right. Uh, it's, so it's what, would you, what would you... What would you... position to be in. Yeah, what would you tell other... What would you tell our listeners um, that, God forbid, they're you know, in, in, a, in the throes of something like this? What would you tell our listeners that would kind of help them uh, prevent this type of tragedy? Like, what signals should they be looking for and what should be they be saying to organizations um, kind of straight up without you know, letting it go or something maybe that could have been done uh, at the time of separation? Some quick advice if you could provide it. So, effectively, the workers need to be better trained to understand what family violence is and how it looks like in the modern world. It's now not about bumps and bruises. It's primarily emotional harm and abnormal behavior and coercive and controlling behavior. So they need to be able to scream at the top of their lungs that this isn't normal behavior and you should be concerned. That's probably the best advice I could give. I I, um, I do I do some work with uh, both mothers and fathers in, in separation and custody situations and uh, you know around mostly around crisis and mental health management. But um, I've recommended that for the last couple of years anyway that they wear a body cam uh, when they're around the, the the other side so to speak, so that there's a recording of this and, I, and it's been very helpful in 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 finding evidence related to um, damaging conversations with children. Uh, if you know what I mean, Philip, those damaging conversations that are you can't see the bruises, as you astutely said, um, you, you believe in that process? You think that's something we should be doing is maybe kind of recording more stuff and, and making it obvious that we're recording it? So I'll tell you that the courts hate recordings. And uh, believe it or not, a parent who will record could actually end up getting punished by the judge, even if their recording bore fruit. They will oftentimes be thrown out of court. Uh, as evidence. And I think that in and of itself is a problem. Other than that, I would 
probably how do you, so so how so okay. how do you how how so I, okay I get it and I, I get the legal battle and I know we only have a little bit of time but you know so you know the the answer then is how do you how do you show evidence of the fact that the child's been damaged emotionally other than getting a an assessment it takes six months it's you know eight thousand dollars you can't find somebody like how do you then stand up and go look you know my my child's just not right she's not sleeping she's not eating she doesn't feel right she's not laughing how do you get the courts or someone to understand that you can't. The problem is that the courts operate under the assumption that you are two normal and loving parents who simply don't get along, and they right. pretty much ignore all evidence that are not bumps and bruises um, that harm the children. So the problem is that in today's current court culture of very pro-contact, um, you can't protect your children uh, the way that you would like. There needs to be all around reform and acknowledgement of what, as I said, family violence looks like in the modern world. I have a last question I have uh, for Jennifer. And if you guys wouldn't mind, I'd love to have you come back on at some other point, maybe in a month or so, and just see how you're making out. But how are you managing your grief and your loss such that you're able to kind of stand up and, and I assume this lawsuit is to, to whatever funds come from that are going to be used to do something in the, in the benefit of other people not having this kind of problem. How are you managing your grief and loss sort of in the face of all this uh, while you're trying to heal and help others heal at the same time? I mean, it's a, it's a very personal question and uh, I don't know it's something I can entirely answer. You know, it's very difficult. Um, you know, this, this event has had major ramifications for, for myself, for Philip and for our entire family you know, my parents who were extremely close with Kira, most wonderful, loving grandparents. So um, it's had ramifications, you know, major ramifications on our son. So it's something that affects not only the family, but also, you know, the community, you know, Kira's friends, yeah. Kira's cousins. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's very difficult. Um, certainly it is important, uh, you know, for there to be accountability uh, from, you know, the social service organization that failed Kira. And, you know, this, this is the type of thing that, um, you know, people cannot possibly move forward without any kind of accountability. Um, you know, we we need reform because there are other, you know, many, many other children at risk. And uh, Philip, you know, sees this in his work. And certainly many people have reached out to express very strong concerns about their children's safety and the trauma that their children are experiencing, you know, within the courts and at the hands of social service organizations like Jewish Family Child Services. Uh, societally, we need to do better. So, while it is difficult to speak out about this, we feel compelled and we really, um, you know, we do want to see uh, changes. We don't want these cases and Kira's case uh, to simply be buried. You know, uh, this should not have been her story. And I really don't want it to be the story for any other child uh, and family. Well, I thank you both very much, and I wish you the, the best possible healing and, and the easiest time through this as, as you can get. And uh, I know that you're doing wonderful things in her memory, and um, I'm sure over time things hopefully will get just a little bit easier. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, if you're uh, listening in, just uh, you know, pay attention. Things aren't exactly always they look, and uh, maybe you got to let somebody know. We'll be back in just a minute. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you so much. This is Yona. You're listening to Road to Recovery. Tonight we're talking about broken pieces. Is the system broken? We want to hear from you. 416-870-6400 or text me now, 647-488-0086. It's just an intimate text between you and me. So we're going to have a guest come on here right now. His name is Erwin Allen. 
He is a, a friend of mine. He's been on, uh, on, on with me on other shows in the past. He's the previous uh, provincial advocate for children and youth. So he was, until they took away his office, uh, he was the guy that you would rely on to make sure that children, Indigenous children, children at risk and so on, uh, had a voice and had someone looking out for them. He did a remarkable job. He's an unbelievable human being, and I'm proud, proud to have him on with me tonight. Erwin, how are you? Hi, Yona. Thank you. Nice to hear your voice again. <laughs> Likewise, I hope you're enjoying wherever it is you are. So, yeah, um, Erwin, you, you're, you're very familiar with the story, I know, of the four-year-old uh, girl who uh, fell to her death along with her father. Um, so I don't want to ask you legal opinions, but um, when you hear that story and you, and you listen to, um, you know, you read any of the information or listen to the, if you listen to the uh, the, the segment before before us uh, getting online okay. together where I was talking to the mom, um, you know, Jewish Family and Child Service. I've worked with them off and on for years. I know you have as well. Uh, mm-hmm. When you hear this story, does it is it gay? Is it glaring at you that there were mistakes made here? Well, yes, it's it's um, in many ways like it's a not typical, but it speaks to the holes in the in the system and the way the system works and. Uh, you know, well, first, let me say, I've, I've talked to Dr. Kagan and uh, Jennifer, and, you know, I, I don't think your listeners should underestimate the amount of courage and strength it takes to to work through your grieving and your pain and your loss while trying to find, and in some ways, I don't know if Dr. Kagan would say this word, but justice for your child and make yeah. some sense of what happened in your life. It's, it's amazing. And far too many parents um, of children alive and some who survived these kinds of ordeals, far too many parents have to do that. So, yes, it's, it speaks to the whole. You, you talk about a system, and we, we do have a child protection system in, in our province, which has problems, but it is married and no pun intended, but it's married to a child welfare system. And I don't believe we have a child welfare system. I don't believe we have a family support system. I, I'm convinced you see that in your your own work um, daily, that there is no real system of support for people who are suffering from addictions or mental health uh, services or families who need support and counseling. Um, it doesn't exist. And so when we think that Jewish Child and Family Services is going to do that as well as try and protect children. To me, that's where problems occur. So um, it's been a while since you've been in that office, um, and I don't know if there's anybody actually looking out for children in the way that you did. I you know I can't remember our last time together when we chatted about it, uh, but I don't I don't think there's a an Irwin Elman uh, in doing the, this job. So we're we're going from you know sublime to ridiculous. Not only are things getting worse. And the situation is extremely broken. And now, with the the advent of uh, you know a year and a half, almost two years of a topsy turvy you know life in general for everybody, um, and now there's no one like you in place to protect these these unprotected, whether they're indigenous children, whether they're children with with autism or other you know areas of of um, of uh, diagnosed um, uh, situations where they're at, at at a loss or at risk. Um, when you go to sleep at night. Must make you crazy. It's frustrating, but uh, you know, my mom always taught me that <laughs> it's not our duty to 
to try and change the world. But she also said, but you're not exempt from trying. So it's not my responsibility, and I don't think it's anybody's responsibility to take on all the burdens of the world. But um, you have to try. And so in my retirement uh, from that office, I've I've continued to do everything I can to um, contribute in, to the world, to the world's work and the world's struggles, and to support children and families. It's why I, I've talked to Dr. Kagan um, even though I'm, I'm technically I'm not working for anybody, but I'm still trying to contribute and use the experience I've had. And I encourage um, all of your listeners to do the same. I Let think me ask it's really go important. Go ahead, ask me a question. No, go ahead. You're no, gonna say, you, think it, you think it's really important what? Go ahead. Well, I think it's really important for everyone now to listen. I think it's really important for everyone now to reflect coming out of this pandemic and hopefully we're, we're coming out and to reflect on what that experience taught us. I mean, you know, when, in one that, when we, we built an iron ring supposedly around our seniors care homes and 4,000 seniors died, how does that happen? And they didn't have a voice either. And so in care and children in care, children connected to care, um, just like our seniors who were in those homes, there uh, we're wanting to before the pandemic. And we need to understand that we need to think of our province, our country, our democracy differently, that if we put the well-being of um, our lives, our children's lives, our families' lives, our communities' uh, members' lives, if we put them those decisions ahead of business, ahead of profit, ahead of the economy, we'll be much better off. I think we should reflect on that um, as a province coming out of this and then look at child welfare, as they call it. I put that in quotation marks and say, what are we going to do, really, to create some fundamental change that will fix things, that will provide workers with the proper training so that it's called confirmation bias, so they don't assume that a, a, a mother like um, Dr. Kagan is hysterical, out of her mind, is upset with her husband and wants to get back with him. And that's why she's making these complaints. So you see it that way. You see you see the situation and the evidence that's presented in front of you as a social worker trying to help because that's what you're paid to do, not investigate. That's what you're trained right. to do. You, right. try, you see things in a way that fit um, your worldview. We have to challenge that. So if we're going to have a child protection system, we need to teach people to investigate. Maybe they're not even social workers who are learning to do that. Or maybe there's a right. special course in, in university that you take to do child protection investigation. And then we create some sort of family support system where every family and every individual gets what they need when they need it in order to flourish. Why can't we have that province? And you know what, <laughs> Yona? If that was our motivating uh, way of behaving as government, as communities, our economy would be just fine. It wouldn't I think, be that. I think so. I think so too. What are you doing in your retire? What are you doing in your retirement right now? We've, we're going to get about a minute left. I'd like to know what oh, kind of well, I, what you're up to. I'm a fellow with the Laidlaw Foundation a couple okay. days a week, which means I can do what I want. I'm trying to write a book about what I've learned from kids. I'm helping 
an organization called Until the Last Child globally and here in Canada to prevent children from coming into care and staying with their families. I'm Amazing. working with the coroner, um, advising him on a new child death review system. Um, hopefully, maybe uh, this situation with Kira might be one where we can have a, a different kind of child death review that actually gets to somewhere. And you don't worry when the next election comes in June. I'll certainly be involved in that election somehow because we cannot continue another four years with the decisions made by this current government. And I, I know you're not partisan, but so thank you for letting me say that and not cutting me off. Well, first of all, I'd be glad to support you in whatever you do, and I'd love to have you come back uh, when uh, when it makes sense and, and join us again. Uh, you're a class act, Irwin, and uh, I certainly feel I, I certainly feel better. I hope my listeners feel better, uh, our listeners feel better, uh, knowing that you're still out there uh, punching and grinding and trying to make the world a better place for kids, and not just kids, but their their families in general. So, uh, Irwin Elman, good guy, uh, previous provincial advocate for ch- children and youth. Enjoy the rest of uh, your week long weekend my friend we'll talk again soon um i really appreciate your time when we come back from uh soon we come back from break uh, the story is a little ugly so i'm going to tell you straight up that uh it may contain some graphic content that readers might or listeners might find a little disturbing uh, it's about a family who uh, took their uh, sister daughter and both the mom and dad uh took uh, mom and sister took uh, their daughter and sister to cam h uh for uh, treatment and uh, some horrible stuff happened there. So we're talking about a broken system. We want to hear from you, 416-870-6400, 888-225-TALK if you're calling long distance, or text me. I'd love to see a text message or two, 647-488-0086. It's something new. We're trying it. Let me uh, see if I can hear from you all. It would be amazing to uh, to be able to uh, to talk soon. So give me a text, let me know, and uh, we'll be right back. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey there, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. This is Yona. You're listening to Road to Recovery, and we are talking about a broken system. And by the way, it's 1047-ish. Do you know where your children are, your young, your, your loved ones, your animals? If you don't know where they are at this hour, you probably should. So maybe reach out. If you think they're really in danger, you should call 911 and uh, get them involved. So we're talking about a broken system. I want to hear from you, 416-870-6400, or please text me at 647 647- Four eight eight zero zero eight six. I got a text message from someone who says, "Yona, love listening to you on the show. You just talk a little too quickly." <laughs> so uh, I appreciate the uh, the feedback. We're going to go to a couple hours uh, uh, at the end of the month. Here, we're going to go to two hours on a Saturday night from nine to eleven. So maybe I can slow my roll just a little bit. Anyway, want to talk about a broken system and, the, and what does this mean? What does it have to do with a road to recovery? It's it's all about getting over stuff that affects our lives in a way that takes us off our game, you know, whether it's a depression that kicks in, whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear and worry in some cases about these families, uh, whether it's dealing with grief and loss like uh, uh, Jennifer Kagan and uh, and her husband, Philip, uh, you know, it, it's everyone's trying to get on the other side of something. And that's what this show is about, is helping each other uh, get on the other side of something. The, the, the heading of this story, which I find very difficult, uh, to comprehend. I, I, I really do. She, she was found naked in the men's bathroom. Her family says CAMH failed to protect their eternal child. So as I said, this is, contains a bunch of graphic stuff. So uh, if you're not comfortable, you might want to kind of delete some or delete or uh, mute some of this a little bit. But 
26 year we're not talking about a 15 year old here. We're talking about a 26 year old woman who's admitted to the psychosis unit at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. Doctors observed she was often seen clutching a beloved little teddy bear, appeared younger than her stated age. Her sister said by th- her sister, older sister by three years, describes her as an eternal child, gullible, innocent, and trusting due to an intellectual disability. At the time, uh, her favorite uh, movie was Disney Frozen, and she would soothe, her- soothe herself by listening to Taylor Swift. I do that too. The woman was admitted, uh, not the, not the uh, Disney Frozen, but the Taylor Swift, although I do like Frozen. Anyway. The, the woman was admitted to the psychiatric hospital in Toronto on the sixth, on the September 6th of 2017, hearing voices, hallucination issues, becoming really paranoid, starting to refer to herself in the third person. Like, this is stuff you need to be hospitalized for. This is not something you can just do some talk therapy at home. Uh, not sure what her medication regime was on. And, uh, uh, but anyway, sounds like she wasn't well controlled. Her hospitalization was a relief for her worried family, including her mother, who makes medical and financial decisions for her because of her incapacity to do so. We've never seen her like that. Her sister said in an interview she had to be admitted to hospital to get the support and treatment that she needed. According to the women's medical records, a male patient on the co-ed unit was soon, two days later, making sexual advantage advances towards her and gesture that they have intercourse. A nurse intervened and made the angrily man walk away. She remains very vulnerable, her doctor wrote, and ordered that she be placed on continuous observation. That's the highest level of monitoring with a nurse watching a person 24-7. Just over two weeks later, doctors reduced this to, reduced this to nurse checking on her every 15 minutes. Still quite a bit, right? Every 15 minutes. Though they said the woman was still very vulnerable to targeting. On the third day of every 15-minute monitoring, third day, The woman reported she'd been sexually assaulted by two men in the men's washroom. A rape kit analyzed by the Center for Forensic Sciences found semen on her underwear and external genitals. The DNA from the semen matched the DNA of a male recovered from a saliva on her neck and chest. The mother and the sister, who weren't able to talk to the star because of the fact that it was a sexual assault, they they don't give out names of families and victims and so on. Um, they can't give. Con- There's no way that she could have give, given any kind of, you know, consent because she doesn't have that capacity. So they're suing uh, Cam H, right, the women's family, uh, because they failed to protect her from sexually being sexually harassed and sexually assaulted, alleging that she's not properly monitored, that key people, including her family, were not kept informed of cru- informed uh, of crucial information, and that the hospital failed to respond appropriately in the aftermath. We were constantly visiting her. Mom would say. Every day, the woman said, sister said in an interview, I personally feel disappointed and scared for my sister and mostly for other people like her. No one's been held accountable. She says she decided to speak out about what happened to push for change. What happens in the future when she needs treatment? Is this something this is going to keep happening? Is nothing going to change, she said? We have to deal with her, deal with this trauma now. No charges, by the way, were laid by police investigating. Officers took statements from the woman and spoke to at least two CAMH nurses and a CAMH psychiatrist. What happened was the Crown Prosecutor who reviewed the case decided that um, the woman's accounts were confusing and that she had one point she wasn't sure if it what happened was really a dream or reality. I mean, they got semen. They got DNA, right? Like, come on. Did it happen or didn't it happen? Please. <sighs> Very frustrating. A statement of defense, Cam H denied any breach of duty. Of course they did. Hospital pleads. By the way, this is the same place, Cam H, where people have been let out or left or walked out, the dangerous offenders walked out on a day pass and didn't come back, right? I'm not saying they do a lousy job because they don't. I mean, it's Cam H. But, you know, it's this woman was on a co-ed unit as opposed to the women's care unit. 
Uh, the psychiatrist notes go on to say that a clothed male patient was found in the woman's bed days before that, told the nurse he'd been cuddling with her. Come on. It, it, you know, at the farmer, the place that I operate, you know, if it, there's, there's a three-foot rule. If you break the three-foot rule, you get put on a behavioral contract. If you continue, you get sent home. And that's without touching anybody. There's no mention in the incidents in observation records. The psychiatrist said he learned about it the next day at 1 p.m. Come on, like... Family only learned about a previous incidents involving the other male patients later when they actually received her records. They did not have, she did not have the capacity to, to consent. Experts familiar with the psychiatric system say sexual assault is not uncommon on psychiatric wards. Are you listening to me, my dear friends? I love you guys. Are you listening to me? It's not uncommon. Text me, 647-488-0086. Tell me you're as pissed off as I am. Experts, from it, they say that she should, you know, although static st- statistics are not publicly available, of course not, such cases show that the need to increase access to women-only wards uh, and for reports of sexual abuse and harassment to be taken seriously. So apparently people talk about this stuff, but because they're cuckoo, so to speak, no one takes them seriously. It's a real problem. Women with cognitive disability or mental health-related disabilities are twice as likely to be sexually assaulted than other women and are less likely to report it. To the police, according to research by Stats Canada. They're also the more likely to be repeated violently victimized. It's so sad. They can't make these choices and decisions for themselves, and the system isn't protecting them. The Women's Unit at CAMH is also known as the best, best, best units in the country to be on, which is a good indication there should be more such places, according to experts. The need for women-only units has been long established, including by a 1999 inquest into the death of a childbirth of a 39-year-old Cinderella Aloof, says Anita Segetti, a lawyer who has uh, specializes in this kind of stuff. Aloof was the only woman in a she was the only woman in a forensic psychiatric unit at CAMH with 19 male patients, and somehow, surprise, surprise, became pregnant. In the three weeks the woman was there, she reported twice being bullied or harassed by other patients, according to her statement of claim. Um, you know, I don't know more to go with this. Like, so here's the story. The story is you gotta be there. You gotta advocate. You gotta over. You gotta over. Uh, you gotta you know look over. You gotta be there. You gotta be paying attention. You know when when uh, when my wife was uh, not just my wife, but when my wife was in hospital years and years ago. Thankfully, she's recovered fine and beautiful, and everything's wonderful. But when she had cancer and she was in hospital, I was there too. I didn't leave her side for any of it. When my parents are in hospital, my 90-odd-year-old parents, my father's 94, almost 95 next month, my mother not too far behind him. You know, when she's in hospital, he's there. He doesn't leave. And when he's in hospital, God forbid, the few times he is, I don't leave. So with the pandemic, it makes it really, really difficult because it can't be by their side. It's not available to you. So the question is, is the system broken? And if the system is broken, what can we do to fix it? And the answer, according to Erwin Elman, is we have to do more. The government needs to do more. People need to do more to to advocate and change the rules and make sure that, no, 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 put her in that unit, not that unit. And if she can't go into that unit, we're going to wait or go somewhere else or something. I don't know. But vulnerable people continue to be victimized and brutalized and taken advantage of. And I just think we're better than that. Anyway. Don't want to end on that. I want to end on wishing you all an amazing weekend, and uh, let's pay attention to what's around us. Don't let simple things go by. 
what looks like it's nothing could be really something. Pay attention to those that are around you that look like they need some care. Make sure that they're getting the support that they need. And more importantly, hug the one you're with, right? Love the people that are close to you. Make sure that they know that. And we're going to see you next Saturday night. So uh, until then, this is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.